It's been six years of podcasting, and without our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to bring these podcasts to you. So I want to thank today's sponsors. And first off, we have the Pretentious Pickle Company of 190 Water Street in Plymouth. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to get down there, uh, go down and check out what they make. They have everything pickled you can imagine from uh, pickled beets to carrots to mushrooms to onions to Brussels sprouts and cauliflower. They even have pickled um, uh, or pickled flavor cotton candy, I should say. They make it fresh there every day, and you can go in there and check out what they have to offer. And if you're not in the Plymouth area, you can go to pretentiouspickle.com and check out what they have to offer there as well, and they will ship it out to you. Their stuff is delicious. You should check it out. And uh, they are big fans of ours, and we are big fans of theirs. So thank you to the Pretentious Pickle Company for sponsoring today's episode. And our second sponsor today is Moonrise Cinemas. Moonrise Cinemas is a new drive-in in Plymouth. Uh, right on the Plymouth-Kingston line. They're located at 428 Court Street in Plymouth, Mass. And they offer a great selection of movies. You can go. It's very family-friendly. I went and checked out The Goonies there. They've had Marvel movies, a wide variety of stuff. And they're really starting to expand. They have had uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. This coming year, they're doing music on thursday nights on wednesdays are going to be 420 friendly events so make sure you check out what they have to offer uh, moonrisecinemas.com it's a great venue they have a beer garden they have uh their own food their food's phenomenal and they're bringing back their french toast which i'm very excited about uh, so make sure you check out what they have to offer, moonrisecinemas.com. And if you use in code INEBRIART when purchasing tickets, you'll get 10% off. So make sure you go to moonrisecinemas.com to get your tickets for movies, concerts, and more. And use code INEBRIART for 10% off on your purchase. And now let's jump right into the podcast. Welcome back, Inebriates. This is Andy of the Inebriate Podcast. Obviously, you tuned in for 200 and some odd episodes. Um, to, today, we're joined by uh, Naomi McDougal-Jones. And I always say I don't do research, but I do a little bit of research. And Naomi, you've done a TED Talk. I think you might be the first TED Talker we've had on the show. That seems impossible. There are so many TED <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's the first one I've known of. So let, let's just say that. Um, but I, I watched it earlier today and I was really interested. It was an old, an older one, I think. I don't know if you've done it more uh, than once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the whole TED talk was about women in the film industry and kind of that, you know, equality that we we should be working towards. Um, has things changed since then? Because I feel like you know, even like the the big, you know, cinematic superhero movies are getting women directors. I'm sure it's not equal, but it has it gotten better. So I have good news, bad news. Okay. All right. It's gotten, it's gotten very slightly better. Okay. Um, 
so the percent obviously so i did that ted talk about a year later almost exactly the harvey weinstein story exploded me too mm -hmm. happened um which is when the talk went viral because of course everyone was paying attention to the, to this topic at that time um and the results of that conversation um was that the studios did start running scared a little bit and started putting out a lot of pr announcements of like we fixed our woman problem like <laughs> <laughs> don't worry please look away please keep buying our movies yeah. Um, shiny object, shiny object. Look at the shiny object. Yeah. <laughs> and also with also with the Oscar so white hashtag, of course, you know, across racial lines as well. Um, and it's more been PR than substance. Um, okay. Our percentages have improved slightly. Um, the thing that's changed the most is on screen representation. So you, so audiences do feel like things have really changed because you do see more people of color in leading roles, you do see more complex female characters. Um, however, the, the dangerous thing about this moment is that the, the behind the camera numbers, so the critical roles of writer, producer, director, editor, cinematographer, those percentages have changed like a couple of points, but are nowhere near our representation within the population. And so we're sort of in a situation where where we're seeing more stories, but we're kind of seeing most of them still through the white male gaze. Yeah. Which to me is like even a little worse <laughs> because like because okay. it makes because it makes it less obvious what's happening. Yeah. So people feel like they're getting different perspectives and they but they aren't actually hearing from the people whose perspectives they are. Um so the work continues. I'm glad we've made some progress. Yeah, I, and it's one of those, you know, I, I'm i very liberal leaning and it's just, it's hard because I feel like some people want it to change tomorrow. And that's just unrealistic, you know, regardless of what your issue is, it's not, you're not going to flip a switch and everything's going to be fantastic. So it's good to see that, you know, there is some progress, but, you know, I didn't, you know, because as I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, like um, the the Eternals movie, which came out not too long ago, had a widely diverse cast and a female director. And I thought it was great, but it did get kind of panned, like critic wise. Yeah. And I didn't understand if that was, you know, I feel like I feel like there's a couple of things. One, it wasn't Superman. It was characters that people didn't really know. And so it's a little slower because you have to introduce characters in a meaningful way. But I feel like a lot of it was that kind of, there's always that pushback being like, why do we have to have such a diverse group? And it's be like, cause everybody watches movies, let everybody be in the movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And of course, like we're in this very sticky, like transitional moment. That's hopefully a transition forward, which is like, what's the makeup of the critics? They're mostly white guys too. Um, you know, what do we think? Oh, I didn't the, even think uh, of that. Yeah, yeah. The hallmarks of what we think of as good cinema. And even, you know, I, I'm a screenwriter and I teach screenwriting. Every screenwriting book that is taught in any of the major film schools is written by a white guy. So sort of everything we've been taught about what makes a good film mm -hmm. is w what white men have made. Right. It, from, it's like drawing on the canon, which again is all white guys. Um, so there's there's also like, as a female filmmaker, I'm always asking the question of like, well, what does it mean actually? What is what does a feminine gaze in cinema mean? We don't know. We like we've we've had experiments, we've had little glimpses of it, but we've never had a period of time where a lot of women 
with resources were getting to make their movies at the same time and do that thing of you know experimenting and pushing each other and learning from each other and and like really developing their own voices um in in cinema and so we're also in this thing where um like as you experiment out they go well that's not a, that's not a well-made movie right yeah yeah, <laughs> it yeah doesn't align with what we've known um you know women get told all the time well your your female character is not active enough you know like at the hero's journey you must have an active uh protagonist and like that's actually not how a lot of women move through the world <laughs> it's like a much more subtle thing actions often are dangerous for women yeah. um and so there's like this whole sort of unraveling that needs to happen artistically that we're like in the beginning phases of experimenting with but but then we get told well so, so is, you know is it that even though there are more women writers and producers and, and filmmakers that they're kind of like no 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 you st stick to the formula let Quentin Tarantino do the experimental type stuff. That kind of exactly right. Yeah, and it, it's so it's so tragic that to me, I enjoy working the best in like a collaborative. You know, I'd rather bounce ideas off someone else who's you know different from me in some way, shape, or form because at least they're gonna give me some feedback that'd be like, oh, geez, I never. No, I never thought of that or you know I didn't that's a thing yeah you know, like that the number of times I've been like you know what is that or who, who are they or you know yeah. it, it's to me that's the fun part of being creative totally and it leads to better art I mean it, it like it, it leads to any any ecosystem that is only that is homogenous is a very mm -hmm. weak ecosystem <laughs> you know like it just right in nature think about it. like if, if it's all one thing and that you know, it's not going to be very sustainable. And yeah. as you said, everybody watches movies. This is the other crazy thing about this is that they're leaving money on the table by continuing to pursue this singular gaze. That was the, the most surprising part, I think, of your TED talk, because I always have kind of felt that if there was money to be made, that some, you know, even a Harvey Weinstein would be like, well, you know, it's not my movie, but it'll make money. Let's you know, give it to this woman and let her make her movie so we can make money off it. But it doesn't even seem like that's the case, which is weird to me. It's not. And this tells you that power, it tells you how powerful Hollywood is and that power is more important ultimately than even money to these people. Because you're right. I mean, and and I, I got to write a book after the TED Talk that goes even deeper into all of this and I got to do more research. So I, I was trying to spool back, like, where did that come from? Because everyone has this feeling of like, well, we'd love to make films by women, but only teenage boys watch movies or, you know. Like, right. So I was trying to like figure out like, where is it? Was that ever true? Is it actually true now? Like, where did that come from? And as far as I could trace it back, it seems to be just kind of a thing that people started saying to each other, like executives started saying to each other, like in the like 80s. Um, and even at that time, there was this guy who was a data scientist. Uh, uh, he was like the data guy for all of the, the Hollywood studios. And yeah, he would be like, well, audiences want horror films with blah, blah, blah. And they'd be like, great, we'll do that. And at that time, he actually began investigating this question of like, is it really true that only teenage boys will watch movies and that's why I have to make these? 
And he did all this research and he actually came up that a 13 year old teenage girl yeah. was actually the most profitable audience member. Really? Yes. And he, okay. this, this was in the 90s. And he took this to the studios and he said, um, just FYI, this is what's actually true. And they were like, well, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> that can't you know, be true. That's what kills me. <laughs> and I think we are all living through three years of <laughs> that type of mentality of. Right. I'm going to give you the hard science, <laughs> the hard statistics that you can't argue against. You'll be like, yeah, but I feel differently. I'm like, that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, who me. cares how you feel? <laughs> uh, it's so it's, it's, re it was really interesting. Like that whole profitability part. Cause you know, I was talking about before we started recording that I run events and I have a friend who has a, um, a uh, drive-in uh, cinema down here in Plymouth. And we have talked at length about who we should be reaching out to and, and who we should be advertising to and who we should be directing that to. And we almost always say, yeah, women, they're the ones that, you know, are the ones who be like, Oh, I got us tickets to go here or, you know, I right. put on this and I'm like, they're the ones who make right. the decision to do stuff. Totally. They're also yeah. the ones who have tighter friend networks you know, or, and, and broader friend networks who will call their friends and be like, Hey, go see this movie. Yeah. It's also just, a, it's like a common sense math problem. The U S population, white guys are about 30%. Yeah. 95% of all of the Hollywood movies that have been made since 1945 were directed by white men. So 70% of the population there's 5% of the movies for them. Mm -hmm. Obviously, <laughs> from a basic econ 101 supply and demand situation, obviously you're going to make more money if you target that 70%. Yeah, and it seems that way. And this is kind of where my real interest in this kind of subject has stemmed from is I have a daughter and she's months away from kind of like really starting her professional career in a creative fashion. And I want her to succeed. And I don't, you know, the idea that she's going to have to work harder than someone who's less skilled and is male is just like disheartening. And like, how do you, you know, how many pep talks can you give her before it's you just like, yeah, you know, sh shit sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if I can plug my own book. For a second, oh, yeah, please. Oh, yeah I, would, yeah, yeah. I would I would get her to read my book because with the feedback I've gotten from, you know, it's taught in colleges now in certain places. Mm -hmm. And the feedback I've gotten from young women is like, at least now I understand what's happening. Like, I can see how the system works. And now with that information, I can figure out what to do about it. I can figure out ways around it. Yeah. Because what's happened for generations and generations of women is we haven't understood the system because we've been stuck in our own experience. And, and the system in that way of isolating us teaches us like, oh, well, I'm just not good enough. The system isn't sexist. Like I personally am not talented enough. I'm not working in the right way. I'm not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. and, and so in that way you get shattered and you leave the business and you get tired and you you know go crazy and all these things yeah so at least like if you understand you can move forward from there yeah she um so she's in a graphic design program uh in high school and you know when she started she, uh, she really took to it and was kind of like they would do 
you know, all the students would make a Christmas card and then like whoever decided on such things would pick one. And that would be the Christmas card the school just sent out. And um, she's like, oh, you know, they pick so-and-so's even my, even though mine was the best. And, you know, part of me is like, okay, calm down the ego. Like, <laughs> let's be real. But then I'm like, no, because you need to think that way a little bit. You know, if you're going to, yeah, if you're going to throw down with, everybody else and if a guy's like oh mine was the best i would be like oh okay whatever (laughs) and one of my mentors in business is a female business owner here in plymouth and she is non-apologetic she is lays it out like this is how it is and a lot of people have an issue with that i'm like but if she was a dude you wouldn't even think twice about it and it's it's again it's disheartening but I kind of love that fact that she's not apologetic. Like she's like, I'm not going to waste my time apologizing to you for being (laughs) short, not not even short, just straight to the point. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, there's that meme. I'm not even sure where it originally came from, but, but you have to try to locate the confidence of a mediocre white man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, being, being a straight white guy, I'm not saying it's difficult is very guilt ridden. If you're a decent <laughs> person, cause you're just like, I constantly feel like I'm like, I'm sorry for us as you know, a group. You, you don't have to be sorry. <laughs> it's just, there's just a, there's a realignment that has to happen. And, you know, and you know, as a white person, there's a lot of guilt there too. There's yeah. it's just like, are you doing the work to make this better or are you not? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it is an honest attempt at understanding the other person's perspective. You're not going to get it right all the time. You know, I, I, I've mispronounced someone and it, it's, it, it's an honest effort, but you know, it, it's, I think it's the effort that really counts, you know, if you're really trying. So as a film writer, and you said you now teach that, right? Mm-hmm. that's interesting like do you do you see the uh their more equality in the people who take class because i think you said in your your um ted talk that the graduation rate is equal in film school so is it 50 percent of both genders in in your classes no it's way more women <laughs> really okay i've only ever had two men sign up for my screenwriting classes I think it's kind of a self-selecting crowd, you know, given Mm -hmm. the work that I do in the world. Um, But it's, it's actually very exciting to have um, all female spaces to explore this because it, um, I mean, it, it it forces me to approach teach teaching this from a perspective of like, let's assume we don't know anything about what makes a good movie, right? Because of what we discussed before. Yeah. And yet I have to, I have to teach you something. We have to begin somewhere. So every class kind of turns into this exciting exploration of like, here are the things that m- that I think might be true. Mm-hmm. Now let's test them. <laughs> Let, let's let's battery test them against your scripts. Let's help you try things that nobody else has ever tried before. Um, so they feel like spaces of great experimentation, which is very exciting. So I've recently, I'm not a big writer. Um, dyslexic as a kid so english was always kind of not a fun space for me but um 
I've been a creative person my whole life. I've always loved movies and stories and, and whatnot. So during COVID, I kind of started to write a script a bit. And I found the absolute hardest part is writing dialogue for a female character that sounds authentic. Like, do you have any kind of tips or tricks to <laughs> basically writing someone that you have trouble seeing their perspective? Um, I mean, hang out with women. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess there's like, this is such a complex thing to unravel right now because one of the things I deeply believe is that the main goal has to be to, to let, to get, to get the opportunities and resources for people whose experiences have been underrepresented to actually tell their own stories themselves. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece of it, which I know nothing right. you're negating. And then there's the piece of, okay, and unless you're not going to have women in your script, <laughs> unless right. you're not going to have people of color in your script, you're going to have to write for these characters. And how do you do that in an authentic way? Um, I, I think research is always the, the biggest key, um, you know, one of the beautiful things about the internet age is vlogs on YouTube, I find. Yeah. <laughs> because there's just this abundance of content of people just speaking their inner thoughts that was never available to writers before. I love w w listening hmm. and watching vlogs because it's just like you just get this whole exposed person, like endless content of them. Um, and then I think it's always important to have when when you can a paid uh, consultant, for, you know, particularly if there's like a lead female character and you're not a woman, you know, a, a yeah. lead POC and you're not, um, to, to, to give you feedback and, and like in a paid capacity where that person, you know, is getting paid, compensated for their time and has the power to say like, this is terrible, yeah. fix this, you know. Which have you is, ever spoken to a woman before? Because <laughs> yeah. I think often people go, oh, well, the actress will tell me, right, yeah. when we get to set. And, and maybe, but you have to very explicitly set up that power dynamic because actors are taught that they have no power. And so the chances of an actor, like, offering up with no, out of nowhere that something doesn't sound right, um, that's a very risky thing for an actor to do. Um, yeah. So understanding where those power dynamics lie. And as a writer, you know, I'm assuming at that point when it gets to the actor, you, you've, you know, it's already gone through producer and now the director's hands so is like you probably only have very little say in the process at that point. Right. And you can make little adjustments, but you can't make big adjustments at that point. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do like that, you know, uh, someone paid to take a look at it because I've always said you need that in any creative field. You need that person to, you know taking what what you're creating who's not your mom you know because <laughs> yes. you need that person who's not gonna be like oh it's great you yeah know, you need someone who's gonna be like well this is crappy this is terrible this is good right right yeah and, and it's not always what you want to hear no but that's good that makes yeah. it better yeah, yeah. i mean so, i have to cry for a couple of days which of course oh, I yeah yeah i that's also an important part of the process <laughs> If I'm if I'm working on a piece, I can send it to my friend Adam Miller, and it's one of those I want your honest opinion, and he'll <laughs> give it to me, and I'll be like, okay, I'm, I need a hug now. <laughs> but he's right, you know. I, I yeah, value that. Yeah, yeah. I I t 
to my students, I call this the pit of artistic despair. Like there's just, that's just a place you're gonna end up many times in a creative process, which is just like that day where you're like, I can't know how to write, what am I doing? <laughs> Everything is terrible. And then you have to live through that and then it'll look different in a couple of days. And it's tough, like really taking in someone's critique uh, you know, an article almost at the end of every class, you'd hang up what you're working on and then the class would kind of comment on it. And you had the good number of the class would be like, it's great. I love it. Cause no one, cause they all know their pieces up next. Um, but then you'd have people that would really be critical of it. And you, you know, there were people who were defensive and argumentative and it's not helpful in a learning capacity to do that so it, but it's still hard to shut that off and of course it's hard and i mean because yeah. art is like you're like you've like t lifted your heart out of your chest and quivering place it on the table and then other people are gonna like tell you what's bad it's so that's <laughs> dumb <laughs> <laughs> it's so painful but and it's necessary so where do you find ideas for your scripts um they tend I sort of feel like I have like a like a slow cooker in the back of my brain. So I'll have an idea about like, okay, I want to write another film or and mm -hmm. maybe I know I want it to be a romantic comedy or so I'll I'll use my film Bite Me as an example of like so I okay, I know I want to write a romantic comedy. And then I'm kind of going through life for a couple of years and just like different threads from people I meet or YouTube videos I watched or yeah. whatever sort of end up in there. Um so for this one, I um, was acting on the set of Boardwalk Empire one day and got to chatting with one of the extras who revealed to me over the course of this day that she identifies as a vampire. Okay. I was like, exactly. I was like, okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and she explained that she's part of this global community of people who I identify as vampires and they don't think they're supernatural. They don't believe they're going to live forever. Oh, but the ones who actually drink blood those they ones blood, but they uh. believe drink blood to stay healthy um and so i went home and fell hard down the they have a lot of vlogs this community yeah. <laughs> fell hard down the vlog rabbit holes and that, that so then that went in the romantic comedy pod and then i was getting audited at the time and i thought it would be really funny if a vampire got audited so that went in there and then you know just like at a certain point it sort of hits like a like a ripeness or something and then it's and then it comes it's ready to come out hmm that's interesting. Yeah, I tend to come up with ideas and then I'll put them in like a spreadsheet. Not like a spreadsheet, like a Word document, <laughs> just a spreadsheet. My brain's fried. Um, I work too much. Into a Word document, just as like, you know, a couple of bullet points to be like, okay, so I don't forget the idea. Hmm. And then it does. It just kind of like every once in a while, like if I'm daydreaming or, you know, just, you know, sitting alone or whatever and have some downtime, like driving. Oh my God, driving. Driving Great in time. the shower. Yeah. Oh my God. My best ideas come in, in, Always. in the shower. Always. My yeah. husband actually bought me a, a, an, a like a, a waterproof dry erase board for in the shower because <laughs> I'm forever like hopping out of the shower, dripping wet to like write something down and then <laughs> <laughs> write your ideas there. Yeah. And, and then it's like, those were, were kind of like ruminates and, and so yeah, like the first one I kind of picked, was is a romantic comedy because i felt they're kind of formulaic in a in a way because a, a friend of mine she's like oh you got to watch the proposal it's a really good one and i enjoyed it and she's like oh you know at first she didn't believe me that i watched it which i'm like why would i lie 
And she was like, oh, how about the twist ending? I'm like, what are you talking about? It ended exactly how I thought it would. She's like, yeah, I just want to make sure you saw it. (laughs) But I mean, they how much can you vary from like, I feel like a rom-com has a very set expectation of how it is going to function. This is such a great question. And I, I rewrote this, this bite me script 45 times over like the course of three years. Um, exploring exactly this question because I love rom-coms but I love the old ones like from the 80s and 90s when they were actually like good smart funny movies okay the genre has taken a what I would consider a quite a sad dive into proposal (laughs) (laughs) in in the last couple of decades okay so so I was analyzing like they like what's so fun why do I love these so much and it is actually the formula because there's this very um safe emotion it's like being on a roller coaster Mm -hmm. like you get this thrill but you know that they're going to get together at the end so you don't have to worry yeah it's going to be painful you know it's going to make you feel wonderful at the end but there's like this really fun ride you get to go on and you know in that like last 15 minutes it's all going to come together yeah yeah totally in some fun way there's going to be running she's going to run to get the whatever you know yeah so but what was really fun is that within so then how do you make it original, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you kind of have to use this formula and that comes down to the, the characters, the specificity of the situation, the originality of the situation, how funny it is, how good the jokes are. Yeah. Um, so it was really fun to take that formula and try to make it as original as I could. So were your rom-coms that you like kind of the say anything era of rom-coms? Yeah, I mean, my my personal favorite is Notting Hill. Basically, okay. all the Richard Curtis ones I love. Um, and also when Harry met Sally and, you know, mm-hmm. four weddings and a funeral. I love them. So what happened? Like, why are the new ones different? I don't know what happened. They got really dumb. Like, <laughs> like, there was like this Catherine Heigl. I don't think it's Catherine Heigl's fault. She was just yeah. in. There was like this moment where suddenly Catherine Heigl was in all of them. And then... Do you know actually what I think it, I've, I forgot that I developed a specific theory about this, which is that they got really bad after 9 11. Okay. I mean, there's, like there's got to be an explanation. <laughs> okay. But, but weird, right? So you can track yeah. it. Like, like two years after that, they get terrible. And I think it's because there's this core of optimism, of like giddy optimism that is necessary to a romantic comedy. Um, to the genre Mm -hmm. like in the 80s and 90s that that optimism like really met the culture where it was after 9-11 the world got really cynical and dark and scary and so but they were they still were still making rom-coms but they 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 lost their grounding because they couldn't meet the cultural moment that we were having yeah so they sort of began to depart further and further from feeling like just a movie about life but I think enough time has passed. <laughs> I think we're ready again for that for that optimism. Yeah, it, it's um, yeah. There's I'm not a huge rom com fan, but when I find ones that I like, I really like. They really attract me, and that it's that you know how they're gonna end, but I want it kind of told in a different way. Yeah, and the one that jumps to mind, and this could have been. Uh, 
right place, right time kind of thing, because I was, you know, recently divorced at the time when I saw it was um, say anything. No, mm-hmm. um, definitely. Maybe. And, yeah. it's got, it, and so it's Ryan Reynolds telling his daughter about how he met his mother or her mother. Even Did that though come that, before or after the show, How I Met Your Mother? It's the same premise. Um, it is very much the same premise. I don't know. I never even connected the two, but it just like I like the idea of it's this story about meeting someone, but a love story about him and someone else, and you know the divorced dad kind of thing, like ran yeah. true at the time. Um, but I really like I really like that one. And Brian Reynolds is just inherently funny. Totally, he's yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I just rewatched Love Actually for the first time at Christmas. Okay. Freaking love that movie. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. I got this is one of those ones that I saw. I was, I was dating this girl and she was like, I can't believe you haven't seen it. We need to watch it. And it was the, I'm trying to remember because I've only seen it that one time. And he's basically like trying to hook up with his friend's girlfriend, right? With the. That's one. Yeah. Of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I was kind of like, that's kind of shady. <laughs> totally. yeah. yeah, that's only one of the storylines. Yeah. Also, that guy, the one who's trying to go with a girlfriend, is the main guy from The Walking Dead. Walking Dead, yeah, yeah. Um, Andrew Lincoln, yeah, yeah. So weird. Like, I like him I, much better in Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> He's a drip in that movie. He, that's that's my least favorite storyline of all of them. Yeah, but yeah, that. Um, and then my other favorite is. Uh, Addicted to Love with Matthew Broderick and Meg Ryan. Oh, yeah. From like... Yeah, this this is pre-9-11, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. And they're like... Uh, they're trying... Their ex-significant others are dating now and they're trying to break them up. He's yeah, trying to get his yeah. ex back and she's trying to get revenge. Yeah, that and is a just, good one. Yeah, it's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do you... Oh, sorry. Yeah, being really dark and scary. I also yeah. just feel like we've been through a really tough decade or so at this point. Uh, and like, it's really nice to just slide into to like something hopeful for an hour and a half, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Just a real escapism. And <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like you said, that roller coaster, you, you know, I've seen amazing movie. Schindler's List is an amazing movie. I saw it one time and I have no desire to see it again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you, obviously you must enjoy writing other things, not just rom-com. Yeah. Uh, is there another genre that uh, really rings true? So I, I'm not sure I do myself any career favors with this, but I every movie I've ever written has been in a different genre because oh, okay. Um, I don't know it, that I'm curious about. Like I want to try all the different genres, and I don't like yeah. once I've done a rom com, I've done that rom com, and now I want to try something else. Um, so my first film, Imagine I'm Beautiful, was a psychological thriller about a woman with borderline personality disorder who moves to New York and invents a whole new fake life for herself, and then it all comes tumbling down because none of it's true. Hmm. So it's kind of a twisty little house of cards. Do do you find that that um, kind of you know back in the eighties there were TV actors and comic actors and then movie actors? 
do you find even like that still exists today for writing or is it more you know do what you want because i mean you can be on streaming and big movies and you can be all over the place now as, yeah. as far as actors are concerned i mean it's those those the tv film barriers are gone i mean yeah like Meryl Streep was just a TV show. I mean, like, you know, those, those are gone. But um, I guess what I mean from a career perspective is agents and executives tend to have very little imagination. Yeah. <laughs> and they tend to not have, to have very much time to think about anything. So it's easier. So if you are the person who only writes vampire romantic comedies and, and everything you write is a vampire romantic comedy when they need a vampire romantic comedy, they like get you they're like okay you're the person who does vampire romantic comedies and so most of the time they don't need that but when they do they're going to call you but if you are a writer like i am who does a bunch of different things they tend their brain tends to like short circuit and they go like i don't know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who's she again oh, yeah right. so if i were trying to uh succeed within the confines of the Hollywood system, I would be making a set of bad choices probably, but yeah. I'm not. So I'm interested in making what I'm interested in making. I have to defend that thinking in some ways. Cause you made me think of my contact list on my phone where people aren't names. They're a name and then a descriptor. <laughs> <laughs> so like John DS nine. Oh, right. That's the guy that I met. And we talked about star Trek DS nine for like way too long. <laughs> And so, like, I have to, there's so many people in there that I have to give yeah. myself some sort of, like, mental cue of, like, who the hell sure. is this person and why do I want them in my phone? Totally. Yeah. No, no. It's it's not it's not a moral failing, necessarily, on that part. But that is yeah. the reality. Yeah. So, if we could, what's the one thing that if you could change that you think would make a, the biggest difference in Hollywood? the government would go after the media companies for antitrust. Oh, that was a curveball, wasn't it? I was not expecting that. That's interesting. <laughs> so as far as them kind of, well, I, I think YouTube is a perfect example. When YouTube came out as a wild west and anyone could succeed. And then once the media companies kind of got their foot in the door, it's not quite that way anymore. Yep. And there's been there's been mass uh, consolidation within the media companies in the last five to ten years. I'm not sure people realize quite how much. There's now basically five corporations mm -hmm. it, that own everything. Um, and because there's been vertical integration with that too, with the streaming platforms and you know, like Amazon's thinking about buying movie theaters and like they're taking so so not only can they finance films and produce them, they can also distribute them. And so it becomes a closed circuit basically with these five corporations and that impacts everything. I mean, it impacts the, the, the broadness, the, the increasing narrowness of perspectives, which we were talking about, you know, um, it, uh, it impacts the ability of outside voices to break through again, because there's this sense that because there's so much content that it's easier for independent voices to break through. And it's actually the opposite because they've got audiences so trained to only go to the subscription streaming platforms to find content that basically, again, these five companies are deciding everything you get to see mm -hmm. and audiences. You know, if you try to get audiences to pay even two ninety nine to rent a film that isn't on the platform they're already paying for, they'll go, Oh, I'll just wait till it's on Netflix. And it's like, well, it's never going to be on Netflix. Right. Right. Yeah. 
you know? That's um, really interesting. So, so, and I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I have an associate's degree in acting. However, I'm pretty sure that there's antitrust violations going on of the same kind that the government went after the, the studios for in the heyday of, of the early studio system. Yeah, I forgot that Amazon was trying to buy theaters. You know, I had heard that. And, you know, Disney owns everything. Everything. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, Amazon, one of the real kickers is that Amazon, from what we, from what's said, from rumors that we mm -hmm. hear in the film industry, doesn't actually make money on their content. They spend more than they make on prime video content but they don't care because they're making so much money everywhere else and the prestige of having these these this content is worth it to them overall um to keep making it but but think about being a business that's trying to compete with a business that literally doesn't care if they make money <laughs> if true they yeah if the business model works they've created a business model that doesn't work and they don't care but how can you compete with that because to them it's just an ad right you know exactly. the more you say Am amazon the, the more you know right. it just becomes part of life and it keeps you on their website yeah that's interesting huh all right so uh, <laughs> let me know how that lawsuit goes <laughs> right. i'll let you know i'm sure you won't need a lot of money to fight that <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure my associate's degree in acting will get me very far <laughs> um where can our listeners go to find out what you are working on um, my website naomi mctucklejones.com i have a newsletter there that's that you can sign up for that's the best way to stay in touch because Social media feels like we're just endlessly fighting algorithms to reach the people that actually already want to hear from us. Um, but I am also on social media platforms. <laughs> find me there. That's good too. But my website and my newsletter is the best place. Nice. And do you have a specific vlog on YouTube that you'd recommend? Yeah, because I know I'm not going to expose myself. <laughs> I see what people are doing. Yeah, no, no. But like, is there one that you're like, oh, this person? Oh, the really one that I love. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, check out the real vampire vlogs. Yeah. Yeah. Are, they're pretty amazing. I feel like it's such a rabbit hole. The, the the new one. So friends of mine are like, oh, you got to get on TikTok and, you know, promote the podcast on TikTok. And I'm like, uh, I just nothing makes me feel older in this world <laughs> than TikTok. Because I'm like, I just don't get it. They're just lip syncing to something else. And then I'm like, oh, I'm so old. I know. I'm but there, there's one guy, Dylan. God, Dylan. Hollis maybe is his last name and he is a jazz pianist and he does TikToks where he goes into like vintage I think the earliest one I've seen him do is like 1970s but they're usually like World War II and earlier recipe books and makes recipes out of them Wow! and they're either horrifically disgusting or surprisingly <laughs> good and he's really entertaining to watch so that that's my check that out that's just fun yeah well so my husband really likes this youtube channel of this guy who buys army rations from various long ago times in history like yeah yeah to the civil war and forward um rations on ebay and then mm -hmm. eat them on camera um and every time, 
I see Steven watching this, I'm like, I have, we're totally fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't compete with this. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter how good I am. <laughs> There's another guy with a funny Russian accent who has like a crushing machine. Oh and yeah, I've seen that. I, I mean, know. Who? <laughs> who like yeah. crushes things in slow motion and it's fucking mesmerizing and we're just totally fucked. Yeah. 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 We, uh, one of our YouTube channels has, uh, our other podcast bar talk has a YouTube spinoff and it's day drinking <laughs> and it's, uh, three pairs of people trying four different cocktails. And they're always like, Oh, you know what cocktail you should try? This one's really good. I'm like, yeah, no one wants to see you drink a good cocktail. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not here to give you a good cocktail. I'm here to entertain other people. <laughs> You're like, have you been on the internet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, have you seen our show? That's not how it works. <laughs> and when you do like it, I'm usually disappointed. <laughs> but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You as well. Thank you. Uh, for, having me. for people like my daughter's sake, thank you for, you know, leading the charge in the way that you do. And please keep it up. And hopefully she will, you know, pick up that mantle. And, and do her, her damnedest to kick some ass. Well, it sounds like she will. Yeah. And uh, so thanks to our listeners for listening, and we'll catch you guys again next week. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.